0: Good morning, church. We're so glad you're here this morning with us. If you don't know who I am, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Life Church. We're so excited for what God's going to do. Today, we're starting in Philippians chapter 2 as we continue our series through Philippians in a message I've entitled, When Less is More. When Less is More. Let's read our passage together today in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even though you spoke through Paul 2,000 years ago to the Philippians, you're speaking to us still today. May our hearts be open for what you want to do, what you want to say to us. May our hearts be open to where you want to move us, what you want to change in us. And, and may we be willing to listen to you and to obey you and follow you in all the ways you call us into. And God, may this message right now speak in a way that, that causes us to, to love you more, and to see Christ as more and more beautiful every day. Thank you for all you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the most important parts of my daily routines is drinking coffee. I love coffee. I take coffee very seriously. And it's crazy to think that not that long ago I hated it. I couldn't stand it. When I first drank coffee, it was from a brand so bad that I cannot stand so much, I refused to say its name. And to avoid sounding like a snob to you, I won't say its name. I'll just say its initials. Its initials are Folgers. (laughs) Um, But but when I was a kid, I couldn't stand the taste of coffee. The very first time I had it, it was so bitter and gross. And when I went to college, I started to have to drink it. I needed the caffeine every day. And so I started drinking it because other people would make it. But even then, I just tolerated it. I would add so much creamer that uh, Coffee Mate must have thought that I was their greatest seller. Uh, And I would add so much that it would no longer taste like coffee. That was the goal of drinking creamer so it wouldn't taste like coffee when I drank my coffee. <laughs> and, but one day my whole life changed. It changed when I went to this local roastery in Riverside. I was going to school out there. And my buddies, they took me out there. They were coffee snobs. They knew the good places to go, and they were trying to turn me onto their ways. And so I ordered a cup of coffee, and I went to go add some creamer to it. And they're like, "Wait, what are you doing? Stop, stop." They almost knocked the creamer out of my hands along with the coffee. They told me it would ruin the taste. If I added creamer, it would ruin and cover and, and change it from coffee to something else. It would no longer be as good. So despite my better instincts, and I knew coffee was bitter. I knew. I knew in my mind coffee was bitter and gross. I didn't want it like that. But despite that, I listened to them. And I drank it black, straight, no add-ins. And it was mind-blowing. It was good. It was actually good. The coffee wasn't bitter. It had smooth texture to it. It, was, it. I could taste the hints of the things that were, uh, that were uh, cooked with the beans and, and, and roasted with it. And so I, I could taste all these unique flavors. And it was that day that I learned that less is more with good coffee. Less is more with good coffee. Adding something to it would have ruined it. It would have taken away from the flavor that I was supposed to taste would have missed out on the entire experience if I'd added something to it. The same is true of other things. When less is more, the extra things we add in will ruin the actual thing we're trying to enhance. Sometimes by adding things, we take things away. The same is true with our faith. Last week, we we finished up chapter one of the book of Philippians. And even though it makes sense in our modern minds to to see the chapter divisions as from the author, maybe some of us even, we think that the, 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 the chapters and the verses that they're from the author themselves, and these section titles, those pericopes, we think that those are from the author as well, but in reality, they came onto the picture 1,600 years later, a millennia and a half after the Bible was written. After the New Testament book, books were finished, they they added in these chapters to help people find where they are, so that, like today, I could tell you chapter two, verse one, that it was for you to be useful and helpful, but. Sometimes it, it, it's hurtful and harmful because we think that those were the original author's intentions. When in reality, Philippians was written as a letter to be read all at once. From front to back, it was supposed to be read all in one time. And, and, and so, that, so that it's, it's harmful sometimes when we don't realize that it's all one flowing thought. So we don't want to think that the end of chapter one is the end of one thought and the beginning of chapter two is another thought. No, instead we should see it as a continuation, as the the next logical step for Paul from chapter one. And so Pastor David's message about the struggle is real bleeds into the next part of Paul's letter and and how we're supposed to face these struggles in life. And, And look at Paul's response in chapter two, verse one. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit are your hearts tender and compassionate. And, and just after talking about the reality and the expectation and the promise of suffering for Christ, Paul says, Paul moves us from there to, to, to asking the question, is there anything in Christ? Is Christ worth it? All these, this promise of suffering and the struggle is real, and Christ won't save you from all of it in this life. Is there anything in Christ Any encouragement in belonging to him, any comfort in from his love, any participation in his spirit, are our hearts becoming more tender and compassionate? Are we growing in our ability to to those things? And the followers of Jesus in Philippi, they would have been excited. They would have been like, yeah, Paul, preach it, Paul, keep saying it, Paul. All this talk about suffering and struggle, giving way to all these encouragements, So the reminder of the benefits of belonging to Jesus would have been inspiring in light of all those other words. And think of your own life. Is there any encouragement in belonging to Christ in the midst of your struggles? Think about the security that we have that the one who loves us holds the stars in his hands. Having fellowship, this personal intimate knowledge of God through his spirit what, what, what greater benefits could we ask for in light of all of our suffering? All these these truths are supposed to evoke a hearty amen in us. It sounds so good. So what is Paul getting at? Do you ever get weary when someone starts complimenting you a little too much? Maybe someone you haven't talked to in a long time, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, you look like you've lost so much weight, and 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 look how good you're looking, and, or, or I love what you did with your kitchen, and... Uh, or an old friend you haven't talked to, those fringe Facebook friends that you haven't heard from since you added them, those people you met that one time on vacation, and they're reaching out to you all of a sudden, you kind of know where they're going already. Like if they start hitting you up after a long time of no talking to you, it's probably a mid-level marketing scheme. They're probably pyramid-scheming you. And, and, and they, do the, they do this by adding all these positive things because they want to manipulate you into doing what they want. They know it'll motivate you. They know that they can, they know if they push the right buttons for you, that they can make you feel good, so they can ask you to do something that they want. And they especially reach out to people they haven't talked to and don't see a lot, so that they can, if it goes awry, they can move on. And it may sound like that's what Paul's doing here. Paul Paul talks about suffering, he talks about the reality of suffering, the promise of suffering for Christ. And right after that, he follows up with all this good news. But he's not about to manipulate us. Paul is saying, yes, suffering is a reality. The promise of suffering is a reality, but we need to think on the other realities of life in Christ as well. We belong to him. We are loved by him. We we have fellowship with him through his spirit, and we have new hearts. And these realities, these truths, are supposed to inform the way we see the reality of struggle. But how is this seeing less is more? The, The most natural thing that that I've experienced and I see in others, as, in life around me, is that when we go through struggles, it's to go into self-preservation mode. It, it's to go into thinking about more and more all the struggles we have. Well, when you're going through a struggle, it, it permeates all of your thoughts. It, it takes over your whole mind. Sometimes it takes over your whole life because of all the things you're going through, and it makes sense. It makes sense to go into self-preservation mode. But what if the solution to our struggles isn't more focused on them, but less? What if the solution to to all these struggles isn't more self-preservation, but less self-obsession? And I don't mean to kick anyone while they're down. I'm not trying to say that the struggle isn't real. The struggle is real. But what if the way through it is actually not more of us, but less? Maybe it's not good to focus in on ourselves when we're going through these things. John the Baptist, he's Jesus's cousin, and he's the one who started preaching about the coming kingdom of God. He started telling people the Messiah is coming. The Messiah uh, in in the Old Testament is the, the one who's coming to rescue the people of Israel from slavery. He's supposed to deliver them from what they're going through. And John says, he's coming, he's coming. So repent, turn back to God, turn away from these sins. Stop living the way you're living and go after the way that God wants you to live. And so John's having this very successful ministry, and people are coming, and it's like revival all the time. People are getting baptized. But then Jesus comes, and he baptized Jesus, and then Jesus' ministry explodes, and then Jesus is taking all of the followers of John away. And, and so John's crowds are getting smaller and smaller as Jesus gets larger and larger. And, and, and he, he was asked by his followers, how do we respond and the most natural thing for John to have done would have been maybe he starts a program. Maybe he starts doing giveaways. He starts inviting all these people through all these gimmicks to, to come back. to Self-preservation, making sure that he, he didn't lose momentum, that his ministry didn't become obscure. It, it was like having a guest speaker come to a church, and, and then they plant a church down the road, and then everyone from the church starts going there instead. And in that moment, the most natural decision a human could make Would be self-preservation. But what does John do? What does John say instead? John chapter 3, verse 30 says this. John speaking of Jesus, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John knew the truth of when less is more. John knew his ministry had one goal, and that was to make much of God through Jesus. And he knew that in calling people, one day his ministry would end. And even though it would be a struggle, falling into into obscurity is never the goal of anyone, but but John knew that less of him meant more of Jesus. But what does that look like for us? What does that look like for us in the the 21st century? What does that look like for us in the church? Paul shows us in verse 2 of chapter 2. Make me truly happy. So he says all these things, all those benefits, all those things we want to say amen to, are these true? Well, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. After speaking about the individual struggles at the end of chapter one, these promises of coming suffering for those in Christ, Paul says we need unity. But the problem with unity is it always costs something to fight for it. Now, Paul isn't saying we need uniformity, that the idea of agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, what he's getting at there is at the end of the verse. That we, It's not that we need to agree on everything. It's not that we need to be all the same in the way we think and the way we act. That's somebody's he's getting at. No, the unity and agreement is focused on the singular purpose that we share. All followers of Jesus from all of time are called to one unique calling that all of us share in, And the calling is to reflect what God is like to the world around us and invite them into that calling. So, regardless of the places where we differ in our preferences, in our past, in our priorities, we have all these differences. And the goal isn't to eliminate those differences. No, it's it's to share in the same calling. This unity is something we should strive for in the local church. It's something that we're actually called to. This, This unity that Paul is speaking about, once again, isn't removing the differences. It's uniting over the one thing we have in common, which is Jesus. And it's similar to any other organization. If there were any other organization that divided over every little, small, extra detail that sometimes we in the church divide over, it would fall apart. Paul, Jesus says the same thing. He says, A house divided against itself cannot stand. We need unity. We need unity. This, these benefits, supposed, these benefits that God gives us are the one thing we share in common. Even if we differ on the way we read different passages or the different theological convictions we might have, we, we need to remember that we share in the same calling. But as long as there's tribalism in our community, we are not focused on the mission. We aren't seeking the less is more of the kingdom. The more my opinion matters, the less the kingdom does. The more my opinion matters to me, the less the kingdom matters to me. And there are times to divide. I understand that. There are some things we should divide over. But let it never be because of our preferences. Let's not divide over preference. Jesus died for our salvation, not for our opinions. Just like adding creamer to the perfect cup of coffee spoils it, so does making our preferred choices, our preferences, and putting them on the same level as our calling. Putting our preferred choices on the same level as our calling spoils the the, the unity in the church. The goal is less is more, less of what my preferences are, and more of Jesus, more of what he's called me to do. We need that kind of unity in the church. So how do we reach this unity? How do we get there? It's all great to see what we're supposed to do, but how do we do it? And it's through seeing when less is more. It's when we see less is more. We need less self-focus, more selflessness, less selfishness, more self, selflessness. We need, we need to move from focusing on ourselves to focusing on others. We need less of us and more of Jesus. Look again at verses 3 and 4. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Paul set us up with showing us the benefits of Christ and and how that should lead to unity in our church. And, And this unity is accomplished through humility. This is what it means for when less is more, is our humility creates our unity. It allows our unity to exist. And there are two keys to this kind of humility. There are two keys to having the humility that we need for the unity that we're called to. And there are two keys, and they're they're, they're profound. They may blow your mind. Get ready. Are you ready? The keys to to less selfishness and more selflessness is this. Don't be selfish. Be humble. I know they're groundbreaking. I know they just broke your mind. You need to sit for a second in it. But but let me show you what what I mean. And first is selfishness. Selfishness. Paul says we need to move from selfishness. We need to put away looking out for our own interests. And Paul points those out at the beginning of verses 3 and 4. Don't be selfish. And, and, and Paul knew that those who are facing these struggles, as we face them, that, that they're the natural reaction in that self-preservation mode again. Remember, like, we, we start to look at ourselves. We need to look out for our own interests, take care of number one kind of thing. And whenever we are struggling, the main thing we need to do The main thing we feel we need to do is is focus on ourselves. But this self-focus, it's not the goal. It's not the goal of the kingdom. It's not what Paul's calling us to. It's not what Jesus has died for. No. This self-focus is is not the way forward through struggles. It doesn't solve the problem. But what does this self-focus look like? Well, there are two different ways this self-focus comes across. And they're they're this, self-aggrandizement, and self-loathing, self-aggrandizement, and self-loathing. The first one is obvious. If we're conceited and bragging about all the things that we've accomplished, trying to make others look the other way when we're going through it, trying to make others think we're, we're actually really thriving in the midst of our struggle, trying to make it look like we don't have any struggles, we're missing the point of struggle. The people in Philippi, they were a Roman retirement city, these would have been the people who have been at the pinnacle of power. They would have been lived long, sacrificial lives to, to, to the Roman government. They would have given so much for this place of honor at the end of their lives. And now Paul says, you've gone through all that, great. Now put all that away and, and follow Christ in suffering. They, they would have felt the need to keep up the appearance. They would have felt the need to keep looking important to those around them. And, and not much has changed 2,000 years later, we still feel the need to keep up our appearances. Only difference is that instead of just doing it to those around us, we do it to the whole world thanks to the gift of the internet. You can just spend a couple of moments on Instagram to see that people do not put out their authentic self there. There are very few people who want to be honest about what's going on in their lives on social media. And it's not social media's fault so much as it is our obsession with appearing as someone to be desired, something to be looked up to. We, we, we want this, this, this curated example of ourselves, this, this filtered version of ourselves that isn't real. Because if people only knew what we were going through, they wouldn't follow us. Maybe they'd even unfollow us. They'd block us because they don't want to see that. They, they just want to see all the pretty stuff. They don't want the real stuff. But the Christian struggle is supposed to be an opportunity The goal of the struggle is an opportunity for the world to see Christ's efficiency, but no one can seize it if we don't ever talk about when we struggle. If we're busy bragging about how we have it all together, we have no time to brag about the one who holds all things together. If we're busy bragging about how we have it all together, we have no time to talk about the one who's holding it all together. Think about it. But the flip side of self-aggrandizement is one I'm too familiar with myself, which is self-loathing. But something tells me I'm not alone. You see, growing up, I, I thought hating myself was humility. I used to think that was the way forward. But I heard from other people as well who struggle with the same idea, that, that they think they're not good enough. They focus on all the things that only, if only you knew my past, if only you knew what the things I've done, if only you knew the things I haven't done that I was supposed to do, or the person I say I am that I'm really not. This idea of this imposter syndrome constantly going on in, in our minds. And even though Jesus has risen from the grave on Easter Sunday, we are content to live in an eternal, silent Saturday. Even though Jesus has risen from the grave on Easter Sunday, we're content to live in an eternal, silent Saturday there seems to be this holy buzz. You feel holier when you hate yourself. But the more we focus on ourselves, whether our flaws or the good things about us, we're still not focusing on Christ. C.S. Lewis has the best definition of humility I've ever heard, and it's this. True humility, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Whenever we need to constantly praise ourselves or constantly criticize ourselves, the enemy's still winning. Satan's still winning because our focus is on us. There's no unity when we're focused on ourselves. There's only constant criticism or constant self aggrandizement. We're not actually moving beyond ourselves. We don't need to think of ourselves more, but less. And and when we do this, when we move from self-aggrandizement or self-loathing into blessed self-forgetfulness, that's where that unity comes from. When we move beyond self-aggrandizement and self-loathing to blessed self-forgetfulness, there's joy. Less of me, more of Christ. When less is more. So the first half is don't be selfish. Whether self-hatred or self-obsession, put those away. The second half is when we see things, when we see the need for what we see how less is more, is be humble. If the first half is seeing what we need to put off, put away, stop, the second half is seeing what we need to put on, what we need to replace it with. The old saying that nature abhors a void is true. If if we take off something, if we put away a bad habit and we don't replace it with a good habit, another bad habit is going to fill its place. Something will be done. So we need to make sure that we're filling that space with what Christ has called us to. And Paul says we need to be humble by thinking of others as better than ourselves and take interest in the needs of others and not just our own. But this isn't isn't a call to self-neglect. This isn't a call to another form of self-hatred or a holy self-hatred. That's not what he's getting at. He's not arguing for self-neglect. He says, look out for others' interests like your own and and to care for others. This this idea of humility is, is... is, is to think of yourself less, remember? Not think less of yourself. That's, that's the goal. And Paul, Paul is calling us to, to see that, that this more is less in humility, that the less we focus on ourselves, the more we can do for others. The less I'm focused on all of my needs and all things I need to take care of, the more I can focus on other people's. But, but what, it, what, what does that look like? If it's not neglect, what is it? Well, it reminds me of a picture When I was growing up, my dad would tell me all the time, I remember it, it was like on repeat, like a song on repeat all the time. He would say, if I take care of your needs and you take care of my needs, then who's missing out? If you had a third person, if I take care of your needs and you take care of their needs and they take care of my needs, then who's missing out? This picture that Paul's getting at is that when we constantly are caring for other people, and they're doing the same, who misses out? I'm actually now free, freed up. When I I focus on myself, I I take away the ability to focus on others. When I focus on all the things that I need, I miss out on the opportunities for others to bless me. I miss out on the opportunity to bless others because I'm so focused on myself. I'm living in my lane and I'm missing out on all that God wants me to do in other people's lives and all that God wants to do through other people in my life. This selfishness, this self-focus doesn't just hurt us because we focus on us. It hurts others because we're not thinking of others. And there might be those who would try and abuse the structure, but that's why we need wisdom and community. That's why we have people in our lives who we know care for us. We need all of that, but that's another sermon. But what a beautiful picture it would be to the world around us to see a church, to see a group of people authentically dealing with their struggles and in humility caring for others. What kind of beautiful picture would that be? Making space for those who are hurting to be cared for and for those who are struggling to know the hope and sufficiency of Jesus. Jesus told us what would happen. You want to know what would happen if we live like this? John 13, verses 34 through 35 says this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. When the world around us sees the hope within us resulting in love between us, that is when people will, will ask, is Jesus the real thing? Is, is Jesus real? Is this really true? And, and when we share, when we love each other because of the hope within us, the world around us will see us for what we really are, which is the people of Jesus. The goal of all of this is that people would see what God is like through us. And when we love one another, the world will know that we are his disciples. Which brings us to our final part. The main reason we are to be humble, the main reason we're supposed to put away selfishness, isn't to be moral, isn't because the church will grow because of it. The main reason isn't even to have a good life. It's not even to be filled with joy and love and purpose. Those are all good things, but those aren't the main reason. The main reason is because Jesus himself demonstrated it in his own life. Look again with me in verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Jesus lived a life where less is more constantly. And next week, Pastor David will clarify more of that. But getting rid of selfishness and growing in our humility, it's based on Jesus' example that's the beauty of Christ, is that he's always calling us and commanding us to do things that he has empowered us and shown us how to do them. Jesus doesn't just give us a command and leave us behind. No, he gives us command and then shows us the way. Recapping, Paul is saying that even in the midst of our struggles, we need to be a community where less is more. Even in the midst of our struggles, we need to count others as more important than ourselves. We need, we need to put away our self-focus, our self-obsession, whether self-loathing or self-love, when you put those things away and in humility think of others, not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. And all the potential add-ins that we could add in, if we try and add in anything on top of that, it it, it will spoil the wonderful cup of coffee that is community, the community that Jesus desires is pure and lovely by itself. We don't need to add other things on top of it. There's no need for those things. You you want to know the best evangelism strategy? The best evangelism strategy is to love the other people in the church and to love those around you. That's the best strategy. All the other things are just effects of that. It's not the, the goal is that we be a community of unity based in humility and that through that people will see what Jesus is like. And not only will they see what he's like, but they'll see how much he loves them. Christ's benefits, the things we saw at the beginning. Christ's benefits lead to unity through humility as we imitate him. Christ's benefits lead to unity through humility as we imitate him. So let's stop being selfish, either in conceit or self-hate, and be humble by looking out for the interests of others and not just ourselves. Let's move on from those things. Let's put away selfishness. Let's, Let's live humbly. And follow the way of Jesus, that He has shown the path before us. This is the way of less is more. This is the way of Jesus. He has shown us the way. He has demonstrated it for us and called us to follow after him. So let's follow him. Let's be a church where that's a reality. Let's be a church where our, our humility creates a unity that is foreign to the world around us. Where we don't get hung up on our preferences and maybe even our priorities but we focus on our calling, where our choices are always, always moved and, and, and they're created in us by the God who loves us, that we're so moved by the love that he has for us as we share in that fellowship with him, that love from him, that it creates humility in us to love each other. And then the world around us will know what God is like and then we can invite them into that love that he has for them through us. This is the way. Let's follow him. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. And you love us so much. And you love us in a way that, that we wouldn't have picked for ourselves. God, you, you allow us to go through struggles. You allow us to, to face trials and suffering. But even in the midst of that, God, even in the midst of that we have an opportunity to, to demonstrate Christ's sufficiency. We have an opportunity to invite others to see that Jesus is enough. But we can only do that when we live knowing that less is more. Less of us, more of Jesus. Less of self-focus and self-obsession, more of humility. And when we live like that, God, when we live like that, and it creates a unity amongst us, that we have this love that's based on what Jesus has done, and this commitment to the calling he has given us the world around us will know will know what you're like and we can invite them into that love you already have for them so I just pray that this week we would take steps to put away our self-obsession our self-loathing our self-conceit and to put on humility humbly caring for the needs of others and trusting that they'll do the same for us Lord Would you make us that kind of church to be the kind of church where people can see what you're like? All in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.